All right. Good morning. I, I am impressed. I, uh, I had the session last year, right before the replay party, and I think there were two dozen people there. And I said, you can't give me a worse time than that. And they're like, oh yeah, about 10 a.m. Friday. <laughs> but this, this is impressive. Thank you all for attending. So my session, BAP 323, move your desktops and applications to AWS with Amazon Workspaces and AppStream 2.0. I'm Jeff Ferris. I'm the senior manager of our specialized solutions architecture team focused on end-user computing. So today we're going to go over a, a brief overview of the workspaces and AppStream services. We'll talk a bit about the WorkDocs integration uh, with those products. We'll talk about Active Directory integration considerations in your environment, how you grant access to corporate resources, network configuration, etc. And then we're going to bring everything together at the end with a demo. But why are we talking about all this stuff in the first place? We're seeing a, a shift in the, uh, the, the business IT landscape. The workspace is evolving. 43% of employees work remotely, at least part-time in 2016. That was up 5% from, uh, from years prior. 50% of millennials are factoring in the ability to work remotely in their employment decisions. 65% of employees express a uh, preference for flexible and remote work situations. And those employees who do work remotely 20 to 60% of the time show, uh, show higher levels of engagement. At the same time, organizations are changing, uh, businesses large and small are increasingly operating in those global, uh, global environments. Mergers and acquisitions last year, I'm sorry, 2016, was a uh, $3.6 trillion uh, event. Uh, security continues to be uh, an important and pressing concern. In 2017, uh, the average data breach was estimated to cost $3.62 million, with WannaCry alone costing over $4 billion. And customers are telling us they're increasingly looking at new and novel solutions to, uh, to address their key business imperatives, things like the ability to embrace those personal devices. You've heard of this as uh, bring your own device. Those of us who have been in the industry for a while may have referred to it as bring your own disaster. The, uh, the expansion of contract work as, as supply chains span the globe, businesses are increasingly turning to vendors and contractors for those, uh, those you know, burst uh, work engagements for you know, specific targeted uh, efforts and providing access to corporate infrastructure and systems for those, uh, those contractors and consultants can be difficult and time consuming when you're using traditional mechanisms. We want to provide access for mobile workers, for mobile devices, for employees wherever they may be. We've, uh, we've completely managed to eliminate the concept of a snow day, so that's on us. Yeah. Uh, now you just uh, you know, spin up your VPN and, uh, and, and wait, for, uh, wait for everybody to work anyway. Um, data security continues to be a, a concern. How do we make sure that only the right people have access to the information, the data that, uh, that runs our businesses? And how do we make sure that if our CFO leaves a uh, notebook in the airport, uh, we don't have to do a disclosure? And then uh, that agility, the ability to quickly move between different solutions. So what hasn't been working? Those personal computers, that traditional management of inventory, the three to five year life cycle, um, you know, constantly refreshing hardware that, and then, you know, BYOD is complicated. How do you secure those endpoints? The things that people can take anywhere, do anything with, bring in uh, any level of, of hardware capability. And on-premises VDI, well, that's, that's expensive. Um, it's a heavy upfront investment. It says weeks to deploy. I don't know if anyone here has ever actually managed to deploy a VDI infrastructure in weeks, but if so, uh, I've got openings. Um, 
<laughs> it requires heavy management, servers have to be secured, it's very expensive to scale. And that data storage across multiple devices, limited control of where your users are putting uh, the, the files that run your organization. Uh, how do they access large files and collaborate across different user bases? It's very difficult to secure. And that's where AWS End User Compute Solutions comes in. So Workspaces is a fully managed, secure, virtual cloud desktop running on AWS. It's a persistent environment, um, you know, very, very similar to what you would expect with your standard Windows systems today. WorkDocs gives you that secure file collaboration and, uh, and management. And AppStream 2.0 allows you to easily stream desktop applications to any device running a, a web browser. And uh, you know, security in our environment is one of our top priorities. So you're going to see um, you know, that, that posture reflected in our solutions. There's end-to-end -end encryption in both of the solutions I'll be talking about in the workspaces and the, the AppStream side for the protocol. Um, for end users, uh, we're leaving nothing on the devices with those, uh, with those solutions, with workspaces and with, uh, with AppStream. Now, WorkDocs does give you the ability to synchronize files down, um, but you can also disable that if, uh, if so desired. Workspaces, um, it is a, a pay-as-you-go model, so you're only paying for what you use, the number of users that you have on the solution from month to month. It's very simple to deploy and manage. We have a full set of, of APIs, of SDKs, um, you know, very easy to, uh, to script those sorts of things, work them into your service catalog, uh, provide mechanisms to, you know, to uh, um, you know, manage those assets, to reboot, to rebuild, things like that for your customers. They're secure. Um, the protocol that we use is a Teradici PC over IP, uh, AES 256 uh, based encryption while uh, for all the bits in transit. The protocol is streaming the, the desktop, the audio down to the endpoint and keyboard mouse movements uh, go, go up. So that is a, uh, an encrypted data stream over a service interface. Uh, you have the option to you know, single checkbox to fully encrypt that system so all of your, your Data is stored, sorry, encrypted at, uh, at rest. And then uh, it's a familiar experience. You're not trying to teach your users something different. Once they run the client, they're, they're in. It's a standard Windows desktop. Everything works the way they expect it to. That's not just your users. That's also for your administrators. A lot of the, the tools that you use to manage your world today, if you use uh, you know, system center for uh, inventory, for software distribution, if you use liquidware for profile uh, management or for um, you know, FlexApp, all of those tools work in workspaces today. And that scale and consistent performance that you expect from the cloud. Every user has an instance that represents their workspace behind the scenes. So as you add additional capacity, you're not trying to figure out how to slice a, uh, an instance across a number of users. You're not trying to figure out the right balance for how many processors do I need on my underlying infrastructure, how much total uh, memory do I need for all of my users. You're just sizing instances for an individual's workload. And we also make it uh, very simple to move up and down between those sizes, so if you don't get it right the first time, it's not a disruptive operation. And really the goal is we want to end that PC lifecycle treadmill, that two to four year purchase and buy and build, right? We want to be able to support that BYOD environment. We want to extend the life of client hardware. Uh, Windows systems that are running uh, uh, full operating systems today could, you know, usually you're going to spin those out in uh, uh, three to five years. Um, you could continue to run the soft client for um, workspaces and get an extra four or five years out of those systems. 
You can also uh, reimage things back to a, a Chromium operating system, something like Neverware, and uh, you know, run on a, an even lighter footprint for your core OS. So we support uh, Windows, Mac OS, tablets, Chromebook, and Zero clients today. Um, our system supports self-service. We've, uh, we've built some new self-service capabilities into the client. For those of you who have looked at, uh, at workspaces, that, uh, that release is fairly recent, I'd say within the last couple of weeks. We've now give you the ability to enable a directory to allow your, your users from the client to do things like resize their, their system, uh, change their storage space, reboot, rebuild, and you can enable or disable those as desired. We can quickly scale up or down in the environment. Adding you know, thousands of users is uh, you know, just a, a couple of API calls and can be done in an afternoon, um, if that. I mean, we run these, uh, we build the labs with um, workspaces and uh, yeah, we, we added 200 last night in an hour. Uh, perpetual PCs in the cloud. So these are persistent desktop environments. When your users disconnect and they reconnect later, it's the same system that they just disconnected from. There's no... Uh, um, we're not refreshing. This is not a non-persistent system. And it really lets you kind of move that, uh, that model to a, uh, an OPEX um, type, of, uh, type of accounting system. So where, where do we see use cases for, uh, for workspaces? Really, you know, anywhere that you're currently using full desktops. Projects in the end user space tend to take some time, right? It's not a rip and replace scenario. You're going to start with a few use cases here and there and kind of expand as you find uh, new places where, uh, where workspaces could fit. Uh, we recommend, of course, checking out the case studies on the AWS webpage, but just some quick highlights. Um, as I mentioned, if you go to the, uh, the hands-on labs or, or the training environments here, uh, those environments were fully delivered via, via workspaces and have been for the last five years as it happens. That's how I became a uh, workspaces specialist, but that was a, a session back on Wednesday. Uh, Amazon.com, uh, we use workspaces throughout our corporate environment. Um, you know, just day-to-day -day corporate activities, standard office use. Uh, developers uh, have access now to, uh, in addition to our Windows images, we've got Amazon Linux 2 as, a, uh, as, a, as an option for your workspace. Um, number of customers use workspaces as a bastion into some of their high-performance computing environments. Uh, Caltech's Gutman Labs, uh, a, a customer that does that, they use a workspace to give access to the VPC, uh, to the resources behind their other AWS accounts, and they don't have to spend time building um, bastion hosts and managing controls and access and, and permissions for those, uh, those systems because their users just come in through those desktops. And then Autodesk University has used GPU workspaces to run on-site uh, training labs at Autodesk University events, hosting, you moving their, uh, their model from um, you know, high-end, expensive uh, hardware to, with GPU cards to uh, low-end, couple hundred dollar zero clients that are still capable of running that, uh, that GPU, but running it remote back in, in one of our um, regions. This is a, uh, an image here of the hands-on labs from reInvent 2017. I should add the Venetian does not appreciate or condone indoor drone flight. Now we know. Um, but this, uh, <laughs> this environment was built with hundreds of lab systems, two regions, including full redundancy for an event replacement. So if something goes wrong and we needed to get out of uh, US West 2, we have a fully redundant environment standing by, ready for a simple network failover in uh, in Virginia, and we can very easily move those, those systems. Now, the, the fascinating thing, if you haven't been to, uh, to the hands-on labs, is you'd walk into a room like this in a traditional compute world, and you would expect to hear a lot of white noise, a lot of fans generating sound. Um, 
these are zero clients, so they're completely silent. It's almost kind of eerie. If you've, uh, if you've built labs in your, uh, in your career before and you walk in, you're like, something's wrong. There should be a buzz. There should be some, some sound. It should be drowning out my thoughts, and it's not. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's completely silent. So we build on slightly smaller scales for the summit events. So if, uh, if you ever, uh, you know, if you're at one of the regional summits, you can find uh, some of the same solutions there. And we iterate over time, so we make small changes to the way we do the implementation, but uh, um, it is saving a lot of energy and effort over trying to deploy those same environments on traditional PCs, right? There's no weeks ahead of time finding a staging area, copying a standard image, you know, building those systems out, and then at the end of the event, wiping everything back to zero. When the event is over, we hit the power button and the systems go back into the box. The behind the scenes, we just shut down the workspaces when we, uh, when we you know, land at home. Workspaces play well with your existing tools. It'll work with your intranet access, uh, integrates directly with Microsoft Active Directory. Um, we offer options to uh, work with MFA. I always recommend using MFA unless it's a truly disposable training environment. But for any corporate use case, uh, there's no reason not to, to be using that second factor. Um, as I mentioned, we will work with your existing management tools, so System Center, Liquidware, um, you know, whatever you might be using to, uh, to push software today. And, uh, and we have, offer a certificate authority integration so you can assure only, gear, uh, only known endpoints are connecting to those, uh, those systems if you, if you so desire. <clears throat> There's no sensitive data stored on user devices. Um, once you disconnect the session, there's no, uh, there's no trace of workspaces other than the, the existence of the client. But no work that you're doing happens, uh, you know, nothing's happening local to the, to the box where the client runs. It's all staying in the cloud. Your data is, uh, is safe um, and storage is encrypted at rest using, using our KMS system. So you can bring your own keys, you can our, use our keys. You have the option to uh, encrypt the system volume, the, data, the user data volume, or both. Um, and then that PC over IP, Remote display protocol provides that uh, that that familiar experience while um, your traffic remains encrypted in transit. We are ready to meet security and compliance needs. Uh, you can, as I said, manage access to workspaces using digital certificates. We're PCI DSS level one compliant, SOC one, SOC two, ISO 9001, 27001, HIPAA eligible if you have a business uh, business associate agreement, and we are, as all AWS services. EU GDPR ready. Two uh, billing options for workspaces. There's a, a monthly option and an hourly. The, the monthly is always on, right? So that's going to be best for your full-time staff, for simplifying your AWS bill, for providing that instant access, right? It's, a, it's about six seconds to connect to a workspace that's running with, uh, with always on versus an hourly. It takes about a minute and a half. Now that, that always on, that monthly workspace is just as it sounds, it's always on. So if you need to run long running processing jobs or you're pulling data from a, a, a data warehouse into Tableau data transforms, you can start that job, walk away from your workspace, go home, connect from there and check on the status of your job. Hourly workspaces are better for students, for part-time staff, uh, for anyone that's going to be working less than 82 hours a, uh, a month. So that's about the break-even point. It, it fluctuates a little bit based on instance size, but we do offer a cost optimizer to help you uh, determine which workspaces would be better to run as the, uh, the hourly or, or monthly options. 
And it's still very quick access. A minute and a half is not, uh, not long to resume from standby. The, uh, the other piece of the hourlies is uh, you, you've got about an hour between um, uh, disconnecting and that system going into hibernate. So if you're moving between meetings, you're still going to get that six second reconnect time during the workday. At the end of the day, it'll shut down, um, uses just a standard hibernate operation. So you'll still be back where you left off for the most part. It is Windows. Windows hibernate. I'm sure we all have had the experience where you uh, walk away from the system and you come back and it's applied to security patch or done something crazy. Um, we're not immune to, uh, to those, uh, those issues, but uh, it is largely minimized by, uh, by running on EC2. Some customer use cases, Endemol Shine Nederland. Um, the, a world-leading content creator, producer, and distributor of multi-platform entertainment. Their portfolio includes American Idol, Big Brother, MasterChef, uh, Man vs. Food, The Biggest Loser, and Wipeout. They have a large number of part-time and temporary workers, operations in over 30 countries delivering uh, critical business applications in a, uh, an evolving lean envi environment was, uh, was a difficult uh, problem for them to solve. So with workspaces, they can provide new workers a Windows desktop and the applications they need within hours instead of days. Um, use, the uh, workers can use their own tools because Workspaces is cost effective and requires no upfront payment. They've been able to save 30% of their desktop operating costs and 70% in capital expenditures. Uh, Cornell University, um, they use Amazon Workspaces to, uh, to get a new master's level course up and running in less than three weeks. They provide students with access to a fully configured system that can run all of the software required for that, uh, that course and the lab work. They get that hands-on experience using real industry tools on systems where, where Cornell is controlling the user experience. They know that everyone's going to have the same level of performance because that's running on a workspace and it's not dependent on the hardware that that uh, student might have brought to, uh, to, the, to the table. Um, so this isn't just for taking notes in class, but it's for taking, you know, following the instructor, for working along in, in real time. And it doesn't matter if they brought a PC, a Mac, an iOS device, uh, Workspaces runs the same for all of those. All right, that brings us to WorkDocs. WorkDocs is our file collaboration and management tool. It's uh, really for that, that user data storage, um, allows you to migrate data from a physical access into your workspace. We have rich collaboration and sharing tools. There's anywhere access, so there's a, a mobile app, there's a browser application, uh, there is a WorkDocs drive client that will, will mount um, you know, WorkDocs as a drive volume on your Windows systems. So secure, fully managed collaboration uh, with an extensible SDK, so you can build your own workflows, you can, uh, you can create um, you know, a number of different uh, mechanisms for approval flows or, or whatever you need to do with our, uh, with our SDKs. Simple integration, again, um, you know, pay-as-you-go capabilities. So this, uh, this really lets you build your own enterprise content management system without having to use, you know, buy something with features that you don't need or rely on uh, uh, capabilities that, uh, that, that go beyond um, what, you're, what you might be trying to uh, develop for internal purposes. Amazon Workspaces and WorkDocs have, uh, have some integrations between them. There's a free tier. If you're an Amazon Workspaces user, you automatically get 50 gig of, uh, of WorkDocs with that environment. And you can upgrade a uh, Workspaces user to a terabyte for $2 a user for month, per month. Uh, WorkDocs Drive can be used as your default storage solution. Um, if you use WorkDocs Drive, it does not store files locally, and it does not use your Workspaces um, user data storage. All right, that brings us to AppStream. So AppStream differs from workspaces in that it is a non-persistent environment 
for streaming applications, so instant access to your desktop apps. Uh, again, you know, you'll, you'll see some similarities here. There's no infrastructure to manage. It's pay-as-you-go, secures your applications and data. So we're using a different protocol here. Instead of Teradici, we're using a nice DCV. Um, but it is still a fully encrypted protocol. Um, we have uh, you know, the ability to stream desktop applications securely to any HTML5 web browser. We also have a native client, but that web browser piece means you don't have to distribute software. You can run things directly in the client, and I'll show a little bit of that in the demo. And we still have that, that global scalability. So every user that, uh, that connects to AppStream, again, has an instance behind their session. They're all going to have the exact same capabilities from, uh, from user to user. And as more users are, uh, are you know, added into your, your infrastructure, as more people are connecting, it's not reducing the performance across the fleet. Um, user access can be controlled via a custom identity provider through integrated user pools or uh, via SAML 2.0 authentication. Uh, we do support standalone or domain joined Fleets. So if you've got a domain join fleet, you can, of course, manage those systems through group policy. There's no infrastructure to manage. You simply create a, an image, set some parameters for, uh, for instance sizing, your minimum um, desired and maximum number of streaming instances in the fleet, and then the AppStream service will provision and deprovision instances as necessary. Uh, the benefits, you don't have to rewrite any of your applications. It's a standard Windows install. Whatever mechanism, um, you know, if it's packaged as an executable or an MSI and will run on Windows, you simply run it under the admin uh, instance. You point the, the shortcut to the, uh, uh, you know, to the executable and uh, create an image from, from that. Everything integrates with your existing applications, your identity entitlements, uh, your, your back-end systems, if you've got... Um, authentication or, or licensing servers that are required for your applications. You can access those systems from your AppStream instances. There's no hardware or software to install. You're just adding uh, applications and starting streaming. We see use cases for uh, enterprises, for, for software vendors, for design and engineering features. Um, enterprises and software vendors will often trial or dem demonstrate applications to their end users through AppStream 2.0. It gives, a uh, again, a consistent known experience. Uh, these demos can then be used to um, evaluate applications for, for enterprise use or to, uh, to help with customer acquisition for software vendors. Uh, also, training. Training for your employees or customers. Uh, you're providing a training environment that has all of the dependencies installed. It's consistent. It refreshes every time a new user connects. You know exactly what you're providing for those, uh, those training environments. And then, of course, line of business applications are easy to, uh, to deliver through AppStream 2.0. We have a number of different instance types. Um, there are general purpose systems for your knowledge worker apps. Compute optimized for, for compute bound applications that would benefit from higher performance processors. Memory optimized systems for applications that perform large data sets, uh, that uh, process large data sets in memory. And then uh, graphics optimized if you have high graphics requirements. So for graphics optimized, we actually have three different families design, desktop, and pro. Uh, graphics design runs on uh, an AMD Fire Pro, so it's good for. Um, Actually, it's the Fire Pro S7150X2. I can never remember that uh, particular uh, sequence of numbers, so I have it in the notes. It's ideal for delivering applications that rely on hardware acceleration of DirectX, OpenGL, or OpenCL. That includes Adobe Premiere Pro, Autodesk Revit, Siemens NX. 
If you need CUDA support, our, uh, our graphics desktop family is the, uh, the first to, uh, to offer that. So the NVIDIA K520 GPU, that's the same as our GPU-based workspaces. Um, our Graphics Pro family uses the, uh, the, the Tesla M60. So those instance sizes go up to 64 v CPUs and 488 jibs of memory because we use the GIB instead of, yeah. Um, graphics Pro instances are ideal for those graphics workloads that need a massive amount of parallel processing capability for 3D rendering, for visualization, for video encoding. So that's going to include applications like, uh, like Petrel's Petroleum Ex Exploration and Production Software from Schlumberger. Landmark's decision space uh, for geoscientific analy analysis or uh, Motion DSP's Ikena for real-time uh, video enhancement and analysis. Now, I don't know how to use any of those software packages, so later I'm going to use all that power to render a little toy helicopter. So uh, some customer use cases, uh, Aviva uses AppStream 2.0 to deliver instant access to their everything 3D application. So it's a, uh, an on-demand self-training platform, the Aviva experience. Uh, they can run that anytime, anywhere, just by providing that, uh, that link to the, to the users. Uh, 3D engineering, uh, design application used around the world for capital projects, for offshore oil facilities, and for power plants. Um, yeah, they can immediately uh, provide that access to, uh, to their users. They get that responsive, fluid experience. And this is my, my favorite part of the quote, indistinguishable from a native installation on a workstation. So that is what our service team was going for. And we also have uh, SolidWorks, the Dassault System SolidWorks. Uh, have, uh, they develop 3D CAD design software. Um, you know, product data management systems. SolidWorks uses AppStream 2 to deliver trials of their flagship software of, uh, of SolidWorks 2018 CAD Premium through, uh, through MySolidWorks.com. It allows prospects to start their SolidWorks trials in seconds. So instead of downloading that entire suite, doing a native install and worrying about dependencies and capabilities of those local systems, they just run it through AppStream and they get that hands-on, again, indistinguishable from local graphics workstation. Reduces the time it takes for users to complete trials and in some cases uh, moves that, uh, that conversation from you know, a process of many weeks to just a few hours. All right, so now we know what they are. How do we deploy them? I'm going to use a scenario here. We'll, have, we'll talk about an existing AWS customer with a hybrid architecture, a mix of applications, both on-premises and in the cloud. They have an existing Active Directory environment for identity. We're going to assume AWS Direct Connect is already in place of about 4,000 users. 30% um, of them are contingent, so that's your fiscal, uh, fiscal cycle surge, uh, project-based drivers, marketing campaigns, merger and acquisition activities. 10% uh, of your users have uh, high performance or GPU workload requirements. The vast majority are standard office users, your accounting, your marketing, your risk management, etc. Um, then uh, your, you know, your special purpose could be GPU or, or higher compute, uh, your engineering users, your data scientists, the GIS folks, of course, you as the admin are going to also want one of those bigger systems, so we'll leave you in that bunch. So, uh, so the approach, and I'm going to have to oversimplify things here. I've got an hour and we're talking about projects that take many months to transform uh, enterprises sometimes when you're doing a, a massive end user migration. So. Uh, as far as your user segmentation, think about what that segmentation looks like. What initial use cases are you trying to solve? What are the first problems that you want to talk about? Uh, evaluate the performance characteristics of your environment. Do you have concerns with uh, asset management for your temporary workers? Do your engineering workers complain that they need more powerful systems to support some of their applications? 
Uh, are developers regularly requesting systems that go beyond your standard specification? Are you getting a lot of exception requests for more processors, more memory for a particular class of users? Could you use workspaces or AppStream to offer better performance or simplify the experience for your home users? Remember, we talked about how uh, remote users are, uh, uh, tend to be more engaged, and we have uh, a lot of employees looking for those remote work solutions. So uh, do they complain about that experience working from home, connecting the VPN, running through security checks? Right? There are other ways we can deliver those same capabilities. So just some of the elements that will go into your, your decision-making process. But the key is to really establish that acceptance criteria up front. Is it, does it look like cost reduction? Does it look like uh, user support cases? Does it look like um, you know, users who, who request fewer exceptions to your standards? And then deploy your initial solution. And we are AWS, so we make it easy to iterate. You, uh, you don't have to get it all right the first time. You can go back and resize instances. You can make networking configuration changes, a lot of, uh, a lot of different options. So one of the first elements in your implementation is the account structure. Now, I probably will have some changes to this slide after we released uh, um, you know, the transit gateway and a couple of other features from, uh, from this reInvent, but I, I didn't uh, know those were coming. So here's what we have. Uh, this is a, a solid um, architectural model for anything you're doing in AWS to, uh, to break things into multiple accounts. We always recommend a multiple account structure, a payer and linked account, with central logging in that payer account. Um, in the cases of our end user compute services, we always recommend breaking the end user environment out to a separate account. Separate AWS accounts give you distinct administrative boundaries. Your end users, your administrators, uh, sorry, your end user administrators are often different from your general server admins, your web admins, your DBAs, your developers. So this is, a, this is an area where AWS organizations, um, yeah, maybe Control Tower, I haven't looked that deep into it yet, uh, could help with some of your overall account relationships, the structure, the governance. But even if you're not using organizations, we'd still recommend, at the very least, having that, uh, that multi-account structure. Um, some companies split out accounts based on type of environment, dev or prod, as you see uh, here, others by business segment or department, some by infrastructure characteristics like legacy and cloud first. However you're currently structured for your separation, end user needs to be in its own account because it's, uh, it's a different type of workload. All right, from account structure, we move on to some network design decisions. So in our use case, we said we had about 4,000 users. So that's a minimum VPC CIDR block of a slash 20, so 4,096 addresses, or two slash 21s at uh, 2048 each. While that would be sufficient for our current needs, you want to allow for future growth. So maybe start with a slash 19, 8192 addresses, and subdivide that into two 21s for workspaces, two slash 22s for AppStream. That leaves you with a slash 21 left over. It's going to take some whiteboarding with your network engineers. If you have plenty of IP space available, maybe you start with a bigger block. If you grow beyond the boundaries of your original VPC, you may need to add new ranges. We do support adding additional CIDR blocks to a VPC. But the key things uh, with the, uh, the, the product-specific implementations, Workspaces requires two subnets in different availability zones. AppStream should always be uh, deployed across two subnets in different availability zones. We don't enforce it uh, in the, uh, the wizard, but there's no reason not to do that. And then you need to size those subnets to accommodate your end state capacity. So now we've set up the account. We have the networking defined. The VPC and subnets are created. Uh, here's what you need to know about the network interfaces themselves. So 
An interface in either service has two network interfaces. ETH0 is your service interface. ETH1 is the,、uh, the interface that resides in your VPC. You'll see that under Elastic Network Interfaces in the EC2 console. Routing rules and security groups、uh, all affect ETH1. You have full control over that interface.、Uh, user traffic can route to file servers, to backend databases, licensing servers, and so on, either in your VPC, a peered VPC, on premises, or through a.、Uh, Uh, transit gateway.、Um, you control how those AppStream instances access the internet through ETH1. So you could route, it, route your traffic through a NAT. You could run your con-、uh, traffic through a content filtering system or a security stack on EC2.、Uh, partner products from the marketplace like Sophos, Cisco, and Palo Alto networks. You could route that traffic back through your virtual private gateway through a VPN or through a Direct Connect and run traffic through on site content or,、uh, or security control points. It's、uh, completely up to you. Uh, the, the control traffic in ETH0, that's、uh, PC over IP for workspaces and nice DCV for AppStream 2.0. So, decided on the、uh, account structure, we set up the network.、Uh, now we're moving on to user access and directory integration. In our, example, in our example, we've assumed a requirement for domain authentication for both workspaces and AppStream.、Um, but things to know all Amazon workspaces will always be joined to an Active Directory domain. It doesn't have to be your,、uh, your existing enterprise domain, it can be standalone, but it will be a, a domain joined system. AWS Directory Service is required to connect users to their workspace. The directory service is where you get the registration code. Every unique directory has a distinct registration code when you activate it for workspaces. So while it looks like a reg code, it's not unique per user, it's unique at the directory connector level. With AppStream 2.0, fleets can be domain joined or standalone. AD joined fleets integrate via SAML with your identity provider.、Um, for domain joined fleets, the connection between a user and a fleet that the user can access is handled by the relay state passed by a, via the SAML response. Um, and you can certainly reach back to on prem AD controllers as long as your VPC has VPN or, or Direct Connect、uh, back to your environment. But I'm generally going to recommend extending AD onto EC2 and defining site boundaries for your EC2 subnets. This is going to speed that user authentication, policy application, and other AD related interaction.、Uh, with workspaces, that,、uh, that initial session is the only time the directory connector is used. The re remainder of、uh, communications to your Active Directory environment are through native AD communications.、Um, let's see. So, yeah, here, extend your Active Directory into、uh, AWS on EC2 instances. Use cross account VPC peering for communications to a shared services VPC. Define your VPCs and Active Directory sites and services, and then separate your Active Directory OUs by service and region. That allows you to apply different policies, different configuration options to,、uh, to those systems in different parts of your environment.、Um, let's see. All right, now it's time for the demo. All right, so what you see here is our Workspaces client. I have previously authenticated so I wouldn't、uh, you know, fumble the password on stage three or four times.、Uh, we're going to hit the connection there. This is not always on Workspace, so as long as we have network, it should be my desktop.、Uh, that, is, uh, that is the running desktop of the Workspace. I'm going to go full screen with that. And you can see the,、uh, the, the client pieces here. We'll go back to that in just a moment. All right, resize. So this. Is a, I believe, performance workspace. We're going to start、um, Blender. Now, this is not a GPU workspace. 
So your system does not use 3D hardware acceleration. Blender requires, uh, let's see, what do we require here? A graphics driver with OpenGL 2.1 support. This could be caused by a missing or faulty graphics driver installation. Yeah, I got that. I don't have a graphics card. So accessing Blender through a remote connection. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now. And using Blender on a virtual machine. So I have managed to fail all three checks for the things that might be required for Blender to run on a workspace. And I do want to mention that workspaces, AppStream, WorkDocs, all can be operated and used independently. I'm just showing some, uh, some integration options here to go from that standard workspace to a, a high performance capability requirement. So I'm going to, uh, to start uh, AppStream in my browser. I'm not using the native client because I, I really want to show how you don't have to install or manage anything for your users here. I'm using uh, um, Okta's integrated Windows authentication. So it's passing that uh, AD authentication into that browser session. And now we'll start Blender here. Reserves the session, looks for the uh, instance. Now, because this is a domain join system, uh, Windows can't log in without uh, either a username and password or a um, smart card. We don't support smart card in, uh, in this scenario. So we are passing the, uh, the username from the SAML assertion, and we are requesting that, uh, that password um, because we're not going to store and forward a password. All right, I can take that to full screen as well. So even though we are running in a browser, we can size that up, and we see Blender running here. So I am using um, home shares that I've, uh, I've repli replicated out through um, in my Active Directory settings. I'm using the same user share for uh, my workspace as I am for uh, my AppStream session. We'll go into Blender. And this allows you to, to process those files through, uh, you know, once you've done your render pipeline and you need to send it on to legal for approval or whatever, make sure there's not too many sharp edges on the helicopter. Um, you, can, uh, you can do all those things by dropping them into those uh, shared user repositories. So I'm, I'm first going to render here with CPU, and then I'm going to switch this back to a, 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 a GPU render just to kind of show the difference in performance between CPU and GPU render capabilities. Uh, right now, this is a fairly simple model, and it's projecting a, a remaining time of 4 minutes and 20 seconds. So we're going to stop that. Nobody wants to watch the dots come in for that long. All right. Then under our preferences, hang on. All right, under system. We're going to switch that over to the CUDA processor. You see the Tesla M60 as our option there. So we're going to save that setting. And we're going to render again. All right, now we're showing a remaining time of 15 seconds. So we're going to get that complete render in, uh, in 20 seconds. And you can see that it's, a, a, it's an adaptive protocol. Um, when high resolution um, you know, is a uh, requirement, we will build to lossless on those, uh, on those systems. The GPU itself is processing that render significantly faster, and we've, uh, we've dropped this to a common shared library. So drop out of there. You can see that that is, of course, running in the browser. And now because I'm using that, that shared storage, I can go to my, uh, my H drive here. Here's the render. And that should be this morning's timestamp. Gonna open that with the uh, the 
you know, best uh, graphics tool we have on a Windows box, MS Paint. And you can see uh, that that is, this is now, this is opening on the workspace, something that we just ran in the AppStream session, right? So if we uh, exit full screen here, I can also show in WorkDocs. All right. There we go. Uh, we have the, uh, the helicopter uh, render available in WorkDocs, so I can get that outside of my workspace, in my workspace, in AppStream. Um, it's available on all the, all the platforms. It's very easy to move those, uh, those data files between, uh, between different systems. All right, now let's uh, see here. If we, uh, if we wanted to change that workspace size, there's a um, December of last year, we, we released the ability to uh, change a running workspace, um, a user workspace with a non-destructive operation. So if I've issued a, a standard workspace and then I realize you know, this user really could uh, benefit from performance, I can, I can simply go in as the administrator, I can change that in the console. With the release a couple of weeks ago of this updated client, we can now give the users the ability to make those configuration changes. And again, you can also prevent your users from, uh, from sizing their own workspaces. But because I'm an administrator, I'm gonna go to uh, change compute type, and I can bump that up to a, uh, to a power, hit update, takes about an hour, I won't be able to make changes to my workspace during that time. Uh, but you know, very simple method to, uh, to change the hardware profile that you're providing your users. I'll go ahead and, and hit that, and you'll see I immediately disconnect. So uh, that, that system's going to, uh, to upgrade in the background. I completely forgot to show my, uh, my VPN connection before I did that, though. Uh, <laughs> well, who's got an hour to wait? No. So this is, uh, this is the console for, uh, for AppStream. So you can see, uh, let me refresh here. Uh, I am in the, uh, the fleet configuration. We have uh, CloudWatch metrics that push into, um, you know, CloudWatch. For, uh, for AppStream fleet, so you can see your um, utilization at any point in time. You can use that to model the capacity that you, uh, that you provide for those, um, you know, the, the minimum and maximum state of your environment. We also have uh, an SDK with uh, uh, AppStream that'll allow you to change your scaling based on um, time of day. So if you want to ramp up the number of systems that are waiting uh, to service your fleet, you can do that very easily through uh, scheduled jobs with the, uh, the um, tools that we provide. We can see here the fleet details for AppStream. I have a desired capacity of two. My maximum session duration is, uh, is four hours. And I'll disconnect if uh, the user isn't doing anything, you know, if the user has shut down for, uh, for 15 minutes. Fleet usage, this is, uh, I had you know, two actual capacity systems that were running and available. I had uh, one that was in use, and then that, that will drop off after, uh, after my 15-minute disconnect period. On the Workspaces console, you can see uh, everything that we're running here. Uh, demo user, and that's uh, the, the workspace that I'm currently upgrading. Um, we can see the uh, bundle type that it uses, um, the directory registration code that you would use for that, uh, for that system. A very straightforward mechanism for looking up that, that data for your users. We do support custom imaging. So if you have a, a gold image or a set of specific applications that you want to deliver for your end users, um, you, you can create a custom image, use that to uh, uh, build your bundles. The rebuild function within a workspace will always use the most recent image that you've associated with that bundle. 
So what that means is you can go, uh, you know, do your quarterly updates, save that, uh, that updated image, um, and if you want, you can rebuild your end-user workspaces with, uh, with that new image. The system drive will come in as that, uh, that new configuration, and the user's data volume will be reattached. So the data volume uh, has a 12-hour snapshot. Every 12 hours, it's non-deterministic, so you don't know exactly when it happened, but we always back up the entire user data volume within that 12-hour period. When you do a rebuild, we'll reattach that, uh, that data volume. For the uh, data types that need immediate availability or immediate backup, that's really where WorkDocs comes in. If you use that WorkDocs drive, uh, anything that's saved into WorkDocs is replicated up to uh, S3 in the back end, available in that web console. Whatever happens, uh, you know, wherever the user goes, that, uh, that, system is, or that, that data is immediately available. So we have uh, both of those options. All right. So we have global availability for, uh, for our services. Workspaces is in uh, uh, at least 11 regions. Uh, I didn't check the news this morning. So Virginia, Oregon, Canada, Seoul, Ireland, uh, Frankfurt, London, Singapore, Sydney, Tokyo, and Sao Paulo. AppStream 2.0 is in Virginia, Oregon, Ireland, Frankfurt, Singapore, Sydney, and Tokyo, so seven regions. And you can easily spin up services in new regions in response to merger and acquisition activities, employee movement, um, you know, changing business conditions. We have a couple of options for Try It Now. Uh, there is a Workspaces free tier available. Uh, we'll allow you to run two standard bundle workspaces for up to 40 hours a month, up to two calendar months. Uh, that can include Amazon Linux 2, uh, or Windows 7 or Windows 10 experience, and includes WorkDocs with 50 gig of storage. Now, you notice there I said Windows 7 and Windows 10 experience. So um, Windows 7 is server 2003R2, yeah, 2008 R2, sorry, um, with the, uh, the desktop experience pack, and Windows 10 is server 2012 R2 with the uh, desktop experience pack, and that's purely a licensing limitation on our end. Now, if you're uh, uh, on you know, the Microsoft side, right, if you need to run client operating systems, we do offer bring-your-own-license programs for environments with more than 200 seats. Um, We've recently released some self-service capabilities for that, uh, that capability today. That will allow you to import your media and, uh, and build on standard uh, Windows 7 client or Windows 10 client operating systems. Uh, AppStream 2.0 is available to, uh, to try with uh, no setup required. We have some sample applications in the Try It Now that, uh, that are available to run. Uh, but you can also you know, build your own files, test a workflow, save your work and print. And then uh, WorkDocs, uh, there is a free tier 30-day free trial with a terabyte of storage per user for up to 50 users, but all Amazon Workspace users receive access to, uh, to WorkDocs for no additional charge for that uh, 50 gig uh, setup. Now, I know it's a, a little bit late for related sessions, but uh, these are the ones you missed. Um, <laughs> so um, some of our, uh, a lot of our sessions, any of the sessions like this are, of course, recorded, so you'll be able to catch those later. Um, you know, the chalk talks and some of the workshops, uh, you know, try to get to a summit or, uh, or, or something, we'll uh, hopefully be able to repeat some of those. So thank you. I will be uh, available up front for questions for a bit while we, uh, while we shut down here, but we'll just uh, take them uh, kind of off, uh, offline. And please complete your session survey in the mobile app. Um, that is how we decide uh, where we put uh, effort into sessions in the future. So I would appreciate anyone uh, you know, providing any, any uh, feedback um, you know, what did you think of the session? Please let me know. Uh, we will take that and roll it into uh, future sessions that we develop. Thank you very much.